ugly, nasty emotion. In my mind, I see it as a manipulative emotion, as some measure of control. But I really just wanted to kind of curl up in, in the hole and, and disappear or just run straight out of the room. I didn't want to fix it at that point. I just wanted to run away. I left that group altogether. And I think that was the most embarrassing uh, moment of my life. I felt so much shame for not knowing that. Welcome back to another episode of Refreshingly Human with myself, Hannah Pillow. Or welcome if this is your first ever episode of Refreshingly Human. It's nice for you to join us today. So this is a podcast about human connections and shared experiences. We are all about finding that line of humanity, which I think we sometimes forget. <laughs> and on this month's theme of feeling the feels, today we're going to dive deep into the topic of Shame. 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 Game of Thrones, friends. You get the reference, right? Now, before I do dive deep into this most hated emotions of mine and my own personal story with it, as well as some of my friends' experiences, I want to give you guys a little context on why you might be hearing the same people's stories across the series as they share their experiences with these feelings. And there is a reason for this, I swear, and it was not random. I wanted to illustrate to you over several episodes how one person is capable of feeling all of these emotions and how being able to see this in one person can humanize that person more. It is in fact that line of humanity that we are trying to find across the show. Now, let's jump right into it. So CBT practitioner Sarah had a rather interesting take on shame on the episode Why We Feel What We Feel with Sarah, and this is something I gave a lot of thought to. So she said that we develop shame in order to fit in. You know, in essence, no man is an island. We all want to fit into our tribe. It can be a matter of survival sometimes. And the problem arises today that we have way too many tribes, right? <laughs> I personally do not think that we are born with shame. A baby can run around butt naked and be as happy as a clam, right? I mean, I'm not saying that we should all be running around naked, but that shame of being naked, it's programmed into us over time by society. You know, there are certain norms and there are certain things that we are not supposed to do. And all of this is thought to us as we grow up. Now, my story with shame, it was ongoing. It was a theme in my life. Um, and I know I said the same thing about fear, but you know what? Emotions are constant, right? We have, we have battles with all sorts of emotions. That's just life. And yeah, the feeling of shame, it left me uncomfortable in my own body. And to be fair, that is not an uncommon experience. Um, I mean... We all feel uncomfortable in our bodies at some point in our lives, and maybe we still do today. That That's a whole other topic <laughs> to go into. But I want you to just think about shame in your own life, okay? Like, just give it, give it a minute and think about where do you think shame stemmed from in your own life and what role did it play in your life? 
And what value does it have on how you see yourself today? I've had quite a lot of jobs in my life, but one of the jobs that I do now is one that I've done for a long time, and that is a sound engineer. And I don't know many other jobs when you're starting out that <laughs> make you want to curl up and disappear in a hole as much as that one did, or at least it did for me when I was learning, especially. Um, it's the kind of thing that when you mess up or do something wrong, everyone in the room, and sometimes you're talking hundreds, maybe thousands of people, everyone knows whose fault it was. And there's can be a lot of shame with that, embarrassment for sure. Uh, I remember one gig in particular I did a long time ago. I was just kind of learning. In fact, it was the first full show, maybe the second that I ever did by myself, you know, kind of doing everything. And I had I didn't really know what I was doing doing i mean i kind of did but i wasn't organized and wasn't prepared for things not going 100 percent to plan uh and i was doing this gig and basically i just made a total mess of the setup and then it came to the point where the band was starting and this was the headline band by this point and uh <laughs> just nothing happened basically there was like no sound and that was all my fault and everybody turned around and they were staring at me waiting for something to happen and my heart was pounding um and it was just like this kind of shame of like, oh, I've really messed this up. <laughs> but I didn't really have time to think about it because, I, you know, the time pressure was on. Um, but I really just wanted to kind of curl up and into a hole and, and disappear or just run straight out of the room. I didn't want to fix it at that point. I just wanted to run away. Um, it's quite funny looking back on it now because it was a huge part of the learning experience and the mistakes that I made that night I've never made again mainly because of fear of encountering that shame again. Um, I don't regret it. It was hugely important for me. But uh, yeah, it didn't feel good at the time. And if somebody had uh, offered to take over and for me to just run away, I probably would have taken it. So for a long period of my life, I did not really associate shame with how I gave myself value. And for most of my life, I was actually fighting against shame. You know, it was like someone put me and shame in a boxing match and we were just going at it my whole adult, well, teenage slash young adult life. <laughs> and damn, it was a battle. If this was like on sports or on TV or something, that would be, that would have been something really cool to watch. Anyways. <laughs> So the culture I grew up in, it was very reserved. And um, from a very young age, I was thought that my body was an object of desire that needed to be covered up or protected. Um, in fact, I would hear references to my body being compared to an unwrapped lollipop. An unwrapped lollipop attracts flies, but a wrapped lollipop preserves its sweetness. All right, then. Now... You could say that I was told my body is so precious and desirable that I need to protect it from unwanted attention and that should make me feel so honoured about my body. And in a sense, yes, this is essentially what the message was saying. But what I was conditioned to believe was a little bit more than that. And the word shame would slowly creep into my life from the moment I got my first period. Sorry, male listeners, if you are uncomfortable with the word period. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I got my same period, my first period, was the moment I was asked to cover up my hair. And then the word would be used. 
if I wore jeans that were too tight or a top that was considered too short in inverted commas, I would be told that I have no shame. And from a very young age, I had become very perceptive into realizing that the idea of decent clothing was so subjective. To some, decent was long tops and baggy, baggy skirts. And to others, decent tops uh, was tops that just about covered the ass and a fitted pair of jeans. And who decided what we needed to be ashamed about? That was the society that we lived in. They would decide what we should be ashamed of. And this leads me back to Sarah's ideas about shame. Because the society I lived in were very close-knit and very religious. And covering up was a vital, vital thing to fitting in. And the problem lay in that I never saw the connection with decent clothing and fitting in. And again, I see, say decent in air quotes. From a young age, I connected with people purely based on their ideas and similarities and not on how they were dressed. You know, I had friends who... I had friends who wore the hijab and covered up. I had friends who wore tight clothing. Um, you know, I even had some friends who wore mini skirts. And honestly, even from a very young age, I did not care. It wasn't what they wore that mattered to me. It was the person that they were. And I just could not, could not connect this idea that someone's idea of decent clothing was related to being a good or bad p person. So... It was really a conflict of interest with my values from a very young age. And in fact, in my own family, we had people who were classed as modern and we had people who were classed as religious. And really, to me, what anyone was classed as, as was not what mattered. What mattered to me was my ability to get along with these people. So my society, they would try so hard to condition me to follow their ways and to fit in with them. And at every step, I fought back because their values did not align with mine. It's as simple as that. Now, I'll tell you the journey of my fight with shame <laughs> in the boxing ring. <laughs> well, like I said, when I was a teen and I got my period, I was forced into wearing a headscarf. And I know that a lot of people, it could be a choice. But for me, it was not a choice. I was forced into it. And as it was not my choice... I would wear it in front of the people who expected it from me and I would remove it when I was in a company of people who couldn't care less if I wore it or not. And the latter was definitely my preferred company. And then I got married and my ex wanted me to wear a headscarf and also what we call a cloak in my culture. We call it a cloak. It's a long, loose dress, usually black. Um, it's just long, baggy, loose dress that makes it seem like you have... Nobody underneath there, you know, floating head. <laughs> but yeah, um, and he also went as far as saying that it would be nice if I wore the veil and covered my face, which I actually refused to do. And I was actually allowed to refuse this. Allowed to refuse this. <laughs> so for the first year, I wore the uniform to please my ex and his family and to fit into their society, which was actually a lot more religious than the society I was brought up in. And after a year, I gave it up. I gave up the, the cloak, that loose, black, drabby cloak. And no one was happy about this. But I still wore the headscarf. I felt like that was going a bit too far to give up the headscarf, especially in the society that I was in. 
And slowly, day by day, I became a bit more stylish and modern. And, you know, from a very young age, guys, I loved fashion. I loved clothing. When I was a little girl, I used to walk around with a little sketchbook and I used to draw like uh, fashion designs. And, you know, I actually, I currently sew a lot of my own clothes right now. I just, I love good clothing. I love fashion. I love shoes. I love earrings. It's, I mean... Guys, can you hear the passion in my voice when I talk about these things? So I slowly started expressing the side of myself and oh, it felt so good to just be myself and express myself. And sadly, shame would rear its ugly head. You know, not in the sense that I would feel ashamed, but more in the sense that the community I was in would not accept this. It was a total no-no, even though I was wearing the headscarf, expressing myself fashionably um, without wearing that baggy cloak was a big no-no. I was not part of their tribe if I refused to use that uniform. And I was labeled. There were some ugly words that were used. And in my culture, if a woman goes against this uniform, she can be labeled really, really harshly, you know, Horishly. And it was never said to my face. And, you know, this is a great thing about my culture, though, is that they'll never say anything to your face. I kind of like that. Um, okay. I'm not going to go into why I like that right now. Uh, but I will in another episode, perhaps. But yeah, it was never said to my face. And um, word gets around. You hear it, right? When people do talk behind your back, you hear about it eventually. And slowly, I was actually um, approached by the elders in the family, and I was asked to dress the way my husband wanted me to dress. And you know what? I know that for some people, that might be an easy decision to change who you are for your partner. But to me, it was a big ask, and it was not the only big ask. It was one of many big asks. But this story is not about my last marriage. (laughs) This is about shame. So being told that I had no shame and that I had to cover up and that I had no choice in the matter, it really, really affected me psychologically and it affected my self-esteem. So as a developing teenager, the baggy clothes left me feeling clumsy, awkward, and really more ashamed of what I looked like. And the headscarf, it exaggerated my acne. I felt like all you could see when you looked at me was a face full of acne and a smile full of braces or dentures. And you know what? I felt so ashamed of how I looked and my self-esteem just plummeted at that point. And in the end, shame was instilled in me, but it just was not instilled in me the same way society wanted it to be. It actually went quite the other way. And that is why when I had control of the wheel, when I could make my own decision, you know, I literally had to grab that wheel and start driving it myself. I chose to step out of the covering and to embrace my style regardless of who disapproved. And once I did that, I gained back my confidence slowly but surely. Now today, I live in a society that really could not care less about how I dress. I don't need anyone's permission to wear what I want. 
I promise you, if I had to wear a headscarf today, no one would care. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to say because it should be a choice if I wanted to. You know, sometimes I do wear a scarf fashionably, not in, in not religiously. But if, if I choose to wear that to express something in myself, and no one should care about that, right? And if I choose not to wear it, it should be the exact same. And the people around me, they celebrate and they admire my style. And shame about my appearance has no room in my life anymore. Shame is a monster that I crushed. And shame to me is a ugly, nasty emotion. In my mind, I see it as a manipulative emotion, as some measure of control. I have to say though, and this is a great question that Sarah, the CBT practitioner Sarah, could answer. And she's going to be back on the show, guys. I'm so excited. She's going to come back at the end of the season and she's going to answer all our questions. And I'm definitely wanting to ask her, I really wonder what the difference is between shame and remorse. And I think that's something we should stress on the season. So I'm definitely going to be bringing that up with Sarah when she joins us at the end of the season. And if you have any questions for her, send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. I'm on Instagram as Hannah Pillow RH. So RH stands for Refreshingly Human and Facebook as Refreshingly Human. But I want to end on a little bit of a positive note. So I know I say shame is my most hated emotion. It's the emotion I felt the least comfortable with, but I think it did play a role in my life eventually. Program Shamed taught me a lot about my own limits and expectations, and it really shaped the person that I am today and the values that I hold as well. And in the end, my rejection of society's shame was how shame ended up being my friend. (laughs) So again, I'll ask you to think about what your own story with shame is. And what value does shame play in your life? What role did it end up? What role did it end up playing in your life? I don't usually tell this story to other people because, well, obviously the feeling I get when I tell this story is embarrassed. Um, that is the reason why I choose this story to represent the feeling of shame. So it goes back to 2014. I was young, I was foolish, and I was living in India for one year where I was surrounded by international people. So people from all over the world, we were there because of the ISEC program, and it's basically doing something professional, but also having fun at the same time. I was there uh, with a group of uh, people from Europe, and we had a house party. So I was there talking to a lot of people, and this one guy, he's from Germany, I really couldn't remember his name, And he told me that he used to live in Switzerland and that he found it very interesting. And then he loved his time there. He told me all these interesting stories about Switzerland. And he told me how easy it was for him to adjust with his surrounding because he's basically speaking the same language. So I was just like, I was curious. And I said to him like, oh, aren't you from Germany? And he was like, yes. And you said that you're in Switzerland? Yes. And you speak the language? Yes. And then I suddenly blurred out the stupidest thing I've ever said and said like, oh, so you speak Swedish. And then everyone just (laughs) on a complete standstill 
they're all thinking like, what is wrong with this girl? And then I was thinking like, oh, wait a minute. That's Sweden, not Switzerland. So I just awkwardly walking back towards the kitchen and just I left that group altogether. And I think that was the most embarrassing uh, moment of my life. I felt so much shame for not knowing that and to be one of those uncultured swine. So yeah, I remember I was feeling shameful. But yeah, it's a lesson to learn and also it's really nice anecdote to tell when you're traveling. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Refreshingly Human with myself, Hannah Pillow. It's been great having you join me today. If you liked my content, please do share it with a friend you think would find it interesting and subscribe to the show as well. I would love to have you listening in to many episodes to come. You can find me on the socials. I'm on Facebook as Refreshingly Human and Instagram as Hannah Pillow. See you next time.